That is the podcast starring me. Yeah. Life of Kevin. <laughs> Welcome to Life of Kevin. And here's the oh. star of our show. Life of Kevin dot dot dot. Hillier, that is. Yeah, that's that's And here's name. our star, here's Kevin. <laughs> yeah. And I'm who's... just the shit co-host. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? We're gonna have another lockdown in Victoria at the moment and uh, and and I gotta I'm gonna be honest and tell you, I'm as grumpy as buggery at the moment. I'm I'm yeah. not I'm not a pleasant person to live with at the best of times, but I'm even less pleasant right now. Well, I'm furious. In yeah. fact, I'm filled with fury. I'm Are riddled you? with rage. I'm Are amped you? up on anger. I don't think I've ever been more angry than I am right now, Kev. Well, I can and dissipate that anger. Let's talk about what we got on this program. Before we do that, though, I want to talk about Murcotts, our very good friends who help you if you're a driver, a great driver, and you want to be an even greater driver. Mm. Yes, there's always room for improvement. Yes, there is, no matter what level of bit driver like this you show. are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe we should take the show down to Murcotts and see what they can do with it. <laughs> Whack it on the chocks and, yeah, let's go. Yeah, let's get to have a look this. Yeah, it needs a good oil and grease change, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, at least the two hosts do. God knows. Yeah. Uh, righto. Uh, so Murcotts, uh, the telephone Yeah, numbers. I haven't had my oil changed for ages, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, can you just get on with the ad, please? <laughs> one three. I've got so much oil, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> Shut up! All right, one three hundred triple five. I don't know what I'm doing. Five seven. Say six. the number clearly, Kev. One three hundred triple five five seven six, or go to their website murcots.edu.au, and they, everything will be explained except why they're associated with this program. They well, haven't got enough room on their website to explain that. It's it's driver training. Yes, it Kev, is. I think it you is. should mention that. Makes makes you a better driver than you currently are. So you're currently you're currently probably terrific. But you know, you could probably be even more terrific. Safety always very, very important in a Absolutely. car. Absolutely. I've said it before, forty nine Victorians every day get seriously injured. Yeah. Six people in Australia every day die in a car accident. Yep. So be as good as you can be. Exactly, and Murcotts will help you be a better driver and uh, and get you home safely. Great show coming up. Roger Mason, who's a man who's known uh, as a, a, a very much a, a, a sort of a composer of a great uh, music for movies and television series, but also, of course, he's been in a few good bands over the years too. Well, I first bumped in across his came across his work in when he was in James Freud and uh, uh, Berlin, yep. which is uh, Breaking Silence is one of my favourite albums, and one of the reasons I like it so much is because of all of the I dare I say it, the avant-garde sort of keyboards that he yeah. provided. Well, he's the man who's been and in then the models. And, of course, he was in the models. Yeah, played with uh, Gary Newman, uh, did a, some stuff with the Divinals. He's played with everyone. His current project is with Stephen Kilby, of course, the uh, very well-known lead singer of The Church in its heyday, and they've got an album out. We're going to play a track from that album and talk to Roger a little later on. But up front of this program, to set the scene for you, oh. we're going to play a bit of music first up from a new album. The album's called Dolan Sings Naismith. Whoa! And it's Mickey Dolan singing the songs uh, that were written over a number of years by Michael Nesmith from uh, from the Monkees, the two surviving members of the Monkees. And we wow. have Mickey Dolan's 
I am so excited oh, about this. I'm, this I'm, is... <laughs> I'm girly boy fan, silly, silly oh, stupid look, stuff. Not only was I a huge fan of the monkeys, but Mickey was my favourite. And um, to be able to chat to him, wow, what a thrill. What, a, what an honour. So here's one of the songs off the album. You'll know this song really, really well because it was a massive hit for a band that Linda Ronstadt was in called The Stone Ponies, which Michael Nesmith wrote this song. They rejected it for the monkeys, but uh, it, it got a, a guernsey with Linda Ronstadt and The Stone Ponies. Here it is. Have a listen to the new version of Different Drum and then we will talk to Mickey Dolenz. Woohoo! That's different drum, which sounds a bit different to the Linda Ronstadt version, but that's off the album that we're talking to Mickey Dolans about, and he's he's ready to go now. Now, Brian, we should point out we had two cracks at getting Mickey Dolans. We're very lucky that yes, he, we did. He, he took our call an hour after the original call because... Uh, he, you were on the he, toilet again. <laughs> you were, no, I wasn't on the toilet, and neither was he. He, he was out and about. <laughs> well, that's a bonus. <laughs> yes. As, as he explains, <coughs> when we phoned him the second time and, uh, and, and got him at his, uh, at his house in Laurel Canyon. So here you go. Here's us, Fanboy 1 and Fanboy 2, uh, with, uh, with Mickey Dolans from The Monkees. 
Here we come. Hello. Hello. Mickey, it's Kevin Hilly ah. and Brian Mannix from Australia. Yeah, thank you so much for calling back. I'm sorry about that. My, I had a doctor's appointment and it went on and on and on. So I just kind of pulled my car off to the side of the road. And, but thanks, anyway, thanks for calling back. Oh, oh thanks. How does this thank sound? You. Are we, are we oh, good oh, now? Sounds great. It sounds like you're in the room with us. Oh, good. Congratulations on the new album, uh, uh, Mickey. It's a, it's a beauty. You're singing just as well as ever. I think oh, you've, your you. version of uh, Different Drum oh, yes. is is a great version of it. It's really great. Who Mike Nesmith's son produced it for you, did he, or did the music or something? Yes, yes, yes. Christian, oh, the whole album, yeah. Christian Nesmith uh, produced the album and re-envisioned uh, all the songs. Uh, I, I I made a contribution or two, but it was mainly Christian that took some of the songs, which were quite iconic, and managed to come up with really cool versions. Because we had decided early on that we did not want to do a karaoke cover version, uh, cover album. You know, not just cover the tunes, but to try and come up with uh, you know inventive ways to to re envision the songs and. It was a challenge because I, you know, was, have been very familiar with all of Nez's material for decades. Yeah. And Christian, as his son, you know, was acquainted with the material since he was in the crib. So, <laughs> so it was a, it was a challenge, but we all got on the same page. I engaged a A&R director named Andrew Sandoval to um, also uh, contribute. And I did. We talked a lot about the songs and which ones we would try to include and which not. Uh, yeah, I'm very proud of the album. And uh, Nez is too. I just saw him a couple of days ago, and he's he's quite proud of it too. I was going to ask that because uh, they're, they're his songs and you've taken them and changed a lot of them a lot. Uh, so he's, he's really positive about that, that experience and what you and his son have done with them? Yeah. Oh, he's very happy. Yeah. I mean... Uh, well, that that was never an option. Like I said, there's no way that, that we would have gone in and just re-recorded, uh, you know, karaoke cover versions. I mean, what's the point? Yeah. But it is a challenge, especially when songs are quite iconic. You know, there's like you think about how many Beatles songs have ever, ever been re-recorded and and turned into hits. You know, a lot of people have done them. Done them. But it's tough when you have a very iconic songs. The only only a entertainer I can think of, singer that that did a you know with Beatles songs would have been Joe Cocker or somebody. You know, yeah. there's been others, I'm sure, but it, it it's tough. So, yeah, choosing the material was was a challenge. And Christian uh, noodled around for quite a while. We had a long list, and we had a medium long list, and then we had a short list. And that, and the and what's on the album is uh, what, what what we ended up with. The original idea to do a an album full of Nesmith songs actually goes back to an idea you you got from a, a very good friend of yours, the late great Harry Nilsson. Yes, exactly. Um, we were best friends at the time in sixties uh, and seventies, and uh, he had recorded an album uh, called Nilsson Sings Newman, the songs of Randy Newman, who. I was also a big fan of. Yeah. Uh, I just kept it in my back pocket, I guess. And um, we were rehearsing, Mike Peter and I, 
for a reunion tour after David passed. And I just mentioned to Mike, uh, hey, I'd love to do a Dolan Sings Nesmith uh, album. And he said, well, I like that idea. I'll give you some songs. And uh, then it went on the back burner again because we went on tour. And then we did, I did another album. And then we went back on tour. And then 7A Records asked me if I was interested in doing an original album of original material. Uh, not, not uh, re, you know, catalog uh, reissues. And I said, yeah, and I got this idea, Dolan Sings Mesmer. And they jumped on it, and we got, in, got a hold of Christian, and he loved the idea, and, well, here we are. <laughs> what about a Dolan Sings Nielsen album? How would that, how would you feel about doing there's, there's that? There's that, too. <laughs> there's that, too. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good one, too, yeah. Can I, can I ask you about, um, I think it's your very first acting role in a show called The Rings of Saturn, and you play a Mexican bullfighter. <laughs> Is that right? Well, it was, it was never made into a movie. What you're referring to is a screen test ah. that I did, which I don't know. I've never, I haven't seen it in decades. Did you see that? How did you hear about that one? I just did a bit of research. I was watching um, some interviews that you'd done and I just, it just caught my attention, the idea of Mickey Dolan's playing a Mexican oh. bullfighter. I thought, wow, I'd love to see that. Well, <laughs> yeah, you, you'd never do it today. It, it was a, a movie, I guess. My dad, who was an actor, uh, of course, um, I guess his agent or producer or somebody had come up with this idea for a film about this little boy. He wasn't a bullfighter. He was a little, a little kid, like eight years old or 10 years old. It's before Circus Boy, my series. And I, I gather that they were trying to get this movie made, kind of a sci-fi fantasy movie about this little Mexican boy that sees a, 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 a star fall from the rings of Saturn. And it's a magic bull that's huge and, and the little boy, I don't know, I don't even remember, it, it turns the bull into a magnificent bull in bullfights. And that's basically all I remember. And I did screen tests. I still have the screen tests. And, uh, yeah, I was a little, a little Mexican boy with a little sombrero, you know, going, please don't, please don't take my bull. Please don't take my bull. Obviously, not, not not these days you wouldn't do that. But uh, but then what happened is they, I think they were going to make the movie in Mexico. This must have been early 50s, 54, 3, 4, something like that. I mean, I think I was like 8 years old or maybe. Then they had a revolution in Mexico. And the government was overthrown. And they never made the movie. <laughs> ah. So you went from went from almost working with bulls to then working with an elephant called Bimbo. Yep, in Circus Boy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With with one an actor who I think is much underrated is Noah Berry, who was in oh, there. Who yeah. I, I thought was a fantastic. Lucky's dead. Yeah, yeah. Noah Berry Jr. was a great actor. And funnily enough, my wife and I just saw him in a movie last night. Um, it was wonderful. He he was so good. And back in like the 40s, you know, something like that, he was a wonderful and a great guy, a great man. You know, he was such a mensch. I mean, he really took me as under his wing and as a 10-year-old in that series and a beautiful man. Yeah. 
Well, it's actually a really an incredibly successful series. I mean, it was a terrific show for its time. Circus Boy? Yeah. yeah. I had ran for like three years on, on network television, NBC. It was a wonderful show. Yeah, it was very little adventure, you know, kind of typical of, of shows at that time, you know, those family adventure shows like Rin Tin Tin and Fury and Flicka and Lassie yeah. and, yep. you know. Was that it, kind of thing. Was it fun for you, like oh, you're getting to sit on an elephant and ride an elephant and do all sort of wonderful things, or was it really hard work? How could that not be fun? <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> Sitting on the elephant would be great I'm fun. Ten years, are you kidding? I'm 10 years old, and, and I lived in a circus for three years, basically, because uh, they had, the producers had bought a defunct circus, but was including all of the acts and the equipment. So the extras and the special effects of the stunt people on the show were circus people. Oh. So I learned uh, during the show, I mean, I learned how to tightrope walk and I learned how to do a little bit of trapeze and I learned how to juggle a little bit, you know, all that stuff, yeah. Oh, wow. And uh, ride an elephant. <laughs> eh, which, which obviously would have come in handy when, you, you know, when the monkeys came along. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> That, that physical side of the monkeys is a, is a side that not many people talk about, but the physical side, the humor side of the monkeys, the slapsticky side was, was really important, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They screened when we were cast and, and we were going to do the pilot. The producers actually screened uh, other films for us, and most of the stuff they screened were th- things like the Marx Brothers. Because ultimately, the monkeys was much more like the Marx Brothers than it was the Beatles. Yeah, it was a little half-hour Marx Brother comedy, musical comedy, on on television. Uh, but they did not uh, encourage us to to, uh, did, and they didn't screen things like well, uh, the Three Stooges, right. which you know I loved. It was a very funny, funny show, a very funny series. But they did not want that kind of. Um, that kind of slapstick for people where we were beating each other up and doing all that kind of shtick, which was fine, you know, great for the Three Stooges, but they, that, they didn't want that for the monkeys. So they screened Laurel and Hardy for us and, and uh, the Marx Brothers, and uh, we'd all seen the Beatle movies, but ultimately, as you probably know, it wasn't about trying to be the Beatles. It was about a group that uh, wanted to be the Beatles, but but never made it on the TV show. Yeah. That was the yeah. charm of it, I suppose. Yeah, they're not successful. They're they're trying to make it, but they um, they still got yes, to pay their exactly. bills, and they're um, yeah yeah, yeah. No. yeah exactly. What about the fashion? And we lived in this. Uh, sorry. Oh, so yeah, you lived in the house in Malibu. <laughs> I don't yeah. know, I don't well, know how you afforded that. It does. I was just going to say, it does beg the question of how we could afford a, a house in Malibu when we never got any work. <laughs> <laughs> what about the fashion on the monkeys? Because you had some really, really cool clothes. Who who put all that together? Well, there were the, the costume designers on the show. Well, one particular guy, Gene Ashman, who uh, passed away, but he was responsible for the the look of the costumes uh, uh, on any show, you have a costume designer. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was it spoke to the uh, fashion of the time. Yeah, it sure know? did. 
Let me ask you, I'll tell you this for starters. For my uh, seventh birthday, I was given a monkey mobile and I've still got the monkey mobile oh. and you press the button and they they sing and it's it's a quite yeah. big. And I, last time I had it valued, it was worth about $3,000. Oh, wow. But I still yeah, got the I still got the box that came in, and it's stitched wow. on pride on my thing. And I just wondered, did you guys get any money out of the merchandise, or was that all tied up with somebody else? Not a penny. Oh, oh wow, wow, not a penny. What even posters with your image on it? You didn't nothing. Not a penny. Thanks for bringing it up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> dearie me. By today's standards, that is that is uh, disgraceful. Look, if it's any consolation, I don't think Kiss make any money out of theirs. Oh, oh. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, no, not a penny. Ouch. The really interesting thing about the monkeys that is different from from anything else, and I, I, I've always wanted to ask you this: Why did uh, were your real names used, and you weren't playing characters in the in the series? I think they probably discussed that the original pilot script. Uh, which I have because that was what was given to me when I went in for my audition. They they weren't those names, obviously. <laughs> they hadn't cast it. I don't remember what they were. like Dave, you know, Bill, Hank, and, and Bingo, or I don't know, <laughs> I, uh, whatever. Uh, but they had character types. Uh, I read for one of the parts. I, I don't even remember which one, but... They were looking for personalities and charisma and characters, and I don't know how they made that decision, the producers. But at one point, they they would have decided let's let's use real names and uh, create you know these uh, entities, these characters. And I often wonder what would have happened if we had had different you know character names on mm-hmm. the show. Would it have been as successful? Maybe not. Would it have been more successful? Maybe not. I don't know. Who knows? We'll never know. Yeah. And, well, people might not have thought that you were actually a band. They might have actually admitted the fact that you were an actor playing a, the part of someone who was in a band as opposed to what a lot of people did think was going on. Well, it was uh, during a time when it just, that never happened. In, in movies it did. It was quite common for an actor to play the part, say, of a musician and or a singer and not actually sing. Yeah. Uh, you know, the classic examples of Natalie Wood in West Side Story or Steve Allen in the Benny Goodman story, or even more recently, um, you know, the uh, Sweet and Low Down, the Django uh, uh, Reinhardt movie with, uh, oh God, it's gone. Oh. Um, very, very wonderful actor that played Django Reinhardt. But it, it, traditionally in Hollywood, you know, you would you would get an actor and then you would, uh, and then a singer or musician, mind the stuff. But obviously these producers uh, didn't want to do that because the auditions that we had, you had to be able to play and sing. Sean Penn, that's who it was. Oh, Sean yeah, Penn yeah. in S- Sweet and Low Down. Wonderful movie. Uh about uh, a famous jazz guitarist named Django Reinhardt. But Sean doesn't play guitar, uh, at least not that I know of a lot. So they obviously had uh, people that that did the finger work and and the music. And anyway, he did a wonderful job. And in the Monkees, they obviously, the producers, 
said, well, we want to, you know, I guess ramp it up a notch. And, and we want these guys to potentially be able to actually sing and play. And that's why when we went to the auditions, we had to be able to sing and play. My audition piece was Johnny Be Good on guitar by Chuck Berry. And uh, most of the auditions are available online. And so that's what they obviously had in mind. You know, the closest thing that's come along in years that I can think of, there's been many attempts to kind of redo the monkey thing. But the closest thing that's come along is something like Glee, yeah. where it's a show about an imaginary Glee club uh, in this imaginary high school. But they can all do it. The cast of that show were very talented, and they could sing and act and dance and play. They could do it all. They, they went on tour, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But you wouldn't have said... Those, in those in these days, you wouldn't have said, "Oh, it was a manufactured glee club." <laughs> it just yeah. Yeah. What, doesn't make sense. It's stupid. So the monkeys, like I said, was a TV show about a band yeah. that wanted to be the Beatles and and never made it. <laughs> and that's the that's the kind of charming part of it. You know, we never made it on the TV show. It was that struggle for success. Yeah. that I think endeared it to a lot of people then and now. Yeah, and so many great songs. Like, it must have been pretty busy schedule because oh. you're filming and then you've got to record songs and make albums and I imagine you're doing appearances sometimes everywhere. two or three. I would go in and sometimes do two or three vo- lead vocals a night. Wow. Gee whiz. Yeah. Well, they needed a lot of material for that. Yeah, they had some really good songwriters, Neil Diamond and... Um, Harry they, Nielsen, oh God, Carol King. Boyce and Hart. Yeah, Boyce and Hart are great. Well, Boyce and Hart are responsible not only for some of the greatest songs, but also they uh, they produced the early stuff, and they they wrote uh, the, some of the biggest hits we ever had, uh, including the theme song. They wrote the theme song and produced uh, a lot of the early stuff, so you got to hand it to them. I mean, they they were almost single-handedly responsible for, you know, those for, uh, certainly those early hits. And then, like you say, uh, Neil Diamond with "I'm a Believer," Carol King, Harry Nielsen, yeah. uh, Paul Williams. Uh, God, I mean, Neil Sedaka, um, yeah. Neil Neil Armstrong. We got three Neils. And Neil Armstrong wrote a song. Neil, Neil Armstrong. He wrote Blue Moon. Ah. <laughs> hey, Mickey, you went, you went to England. You spent a, a lot of time in England at the end of the Monkees uh, and, and doing doing a, something completely different. You, you, you directed and uh, got involved in uh, all sorts of productions in England. Obviously a very yeah. satisfying, creative time for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. You know, in in many ways, that kind of it, well, it was a turning point. You know, I I knew, I guess, intuitively, I knew that I wasn't going to get any action in Hollywood here as a actor, singer, drummer. You know, because everybody thought I was the wacky drummer. <laughs> you know, and this, I, I mean, I remember going to interviews as an actor. And they would say, we don't need any drummers. What are you doing here? <laughs> but that's typical of Hollywood and typecasting. No? 
so yeah, I, I went to England just by coincidence and ended up uh, directing and producing uh, some really great shows for years. One of the roles that you nearly got, I was shocked to find, I didn't know this, but um, you nearly became the Fonz in Happy Days. Yep. Wow. It was down to me, down to me and Henry. Uh, I remember, I remember the audition because it was pretty important and um, it, it was down to me and him. I don't remember him that well, uh, but he, we, we became great friends over the years and uh, he told me once, he said, when I walked in there and I saw you there, I thought, oh shit, I'm not going to get this. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, thank God he did because he was the Bond. Yeah, he was very good. Hey, back on the uh, on the album, uh, you do a version of uh, uh, an old monkey song that I think was the B side for one of your bigger hits, Valerie. Thing called Tapioca Tundra. Why why did you choose that one? Did you choose that one, or did uh, did Christian choose that one for the album? Well, we all did. Like I like I explained, it was a a, a process. It took weeks. We went through all kinds of Nesmith material, and some we just. You know, like Joanne, you know that song by yeah, her? Yeah, yeah, Or, yeah. Well, you can't do that without the yodel. Yeah, and right. how do you do listen to the, how do you do listen to the band without a friggin' band? <laughs> Big band with <laughs> horns. And so <clears throat> there were a lot that we uh, examined, you know, thought about and played around with. And Christian, who was mainly the one that was responsible for re-envisioning the tunes, Tapioca Tundra is one where he's, you know, and I was like, how the heck are you going to do that? Any yeah. different? And he said, well, let me, let me give it a shot. I thought he did an incredible job. Yeah. Another one, the, the one that I think is the most phenomenal, is Circle Sky. I mean, I had sung that song for 40 years, 50 years. And I could not imagine how can you do that any other way? But Christian came up with a, a great rage, Indian rage version. Yeah, it's got a real tribal kind of feel about it, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey Mickey, what, what's your favourite, uh, and I know this is like choosing your children, but what's your favourite or, or for you the pivotal monkey song that you sing? Oh, God, you're right. I, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, you know, it kind of depends on my mood. You'd have to break it down into different uh, maybe types of songs, comparing ballads to yeah. to up tempo and oh god! I mean, you know, with those writers, you know, they didn't write too many duff tunes. No, true. I love singing um, well all the hits because they're friggin' hits, you know. <laughs> and um, and the, the the feedback from the audience is like you know always so phenomenal. But uh, you know, I, uh, I I don't know. Recently, I would say maybe. Some of the songs from the movie Head, um, oh, yeah. like uh, the Carol King tune uh, "As We Go Along," or uh, the Porpoise song. Oh yeah, um, yeah. You know, yeah, stuff like that. Pleasant Valley Sunday is always a killer. Yeah, yeah. Randy Scouse gets one of my favorites. I reckon that's a beauty. Well, thank you, thank you. My one little contribution. Oh, it's a beauty. It's 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 one of my favourites. Um, and take a giant step. I reckon is the one that a lot Good of people song, yeah. a lot of people forget about that one. And Saturday's Child, oh, I think, is great, great too. Song. Take a giant step is one of my favourites. We, we do that. We we've done that for years. And what? Uh, Saturday's Child. I really like that as well. 
Um, but, David Gates, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, really good. You were, hang, you were part of the Hollywood vampires for a while, hanging out with Alice Cooper and... Um, well, <laughs> I, I, I started it with him. Yeah, right. And contrary to urban myth, um, it did not start out as a drinking club. <laughs> it, it may have became one, but it started out as Alice and I, we lived next door to each other, and we started a charity softball team. Yeah. That's baseball. Softball is an American version of, of baseball. And we had shirts made, and we would play weekend games, mainly to kind of raise money for some charity. And we would play the local, another local music company or the fire department or police department or whatever. And, you know, get, fan, you know, get fans to come around and, and raise some money, hopefully, for for some charities. And then we then we'd be going party. <laughs> right. And and you're very good at it from all reports. Oh yeah. I'm told I had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> hey Mickey, congratulations on the album. Uh, terrific stuff. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending mm-hmm. some time with us. We really, really appreciated it and uh, it's been just a blast. Uh, both of us are, are massive uh, massive monkeys fans from the old days and uh, and like you Thank you very much. Like you have fond, very fond memories of it. I I I saw a quote where you said uh, it's the best thing that ever happened to you. Do you still feel that way? The monkeys? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, I was blessed. Blessed to be part of it uh, and uh, associating with all those incredible, talented people. I'd like to think that I made my contribution, of course. Yep. Oh, yeah. But, uh, of course, yeah. I've always felt blessed. It's been our pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time, Mickey. Uh, take care of yourself. Thanks, Thank Mickey. You. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye. All right, there you go. I'm a giggly schoolboy. Uh, I would have always thought, you know what? I would have what? always thought that you wanted to be Davy. No, no. I li- look, I liked Davy, but I think Mickey was the funny one, so yeah, I liked too. him the most. Yeah, me um, too. Yeah, no, and you know, so I did knew how to ride an elephant, and you know, they had that going for him as well. <laughs> it's great to talk to him about Circus Boy. And All right, so what? we're going to play another track off the album now. I want to explain this. This, right. to me, was my favourite track on this new album, apart from Different Drum, which I've, I've loved all the time. It's a, it's a track called Propinquity. Oh, that's a bit rude, Kev. Well, in social psychology, propinquity is one of the main factors leading to interpersonal attraction. It refers to the physical or psychological proximity between people. Well, if you, propinquity, you read that in the Urban Dictionary, propinquity <laughs> is a position that involves two oranges, a banana... And lots of baby oil. <laughs> Is that right? That's right, Kev. It's it can called... mean physical proximity. Ah, okay. A yeah. kinship between so you, people. You get the banana and the orange and you start squeezing that all over the joint. You probably push your plastic sheets down, I'd reckon. Or a similarity in nature between things. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, that's so right. that's what that's what it is. But it actually is a song that Michael Nesmith wrote many many years ago, and I didn't know it had been recorded by the Monkees, mm. um, but it had. And so we're going to listen to a little bit of that. And as as Mickey said in the interview, um, what he and uh, Christian Nesmith tried to do was reimagine the songs, take them, take this song, and make it sound totally different to what it was. So listen to thirty seconds of uh, of the original version by the Monkees of Propinquity. 
That so wasn't it, incidentally. <laughs> that's just Mickey wanting to know what I was doing on the weekend. That was Brian's uh, xylophone solo that he'll be doing uh, at all his shows in future. No. So listen to 30 Seconds of the Monkey's Propinquity and then we'll go straight into the new version, which is, I'm telling you, so much different. So here we go. Okay. <laughs> I've known for a long time the kind of girl you are Of a smile that covers teardrops the way your head used to your heart But things you've kept inside that most girls couldn't bear I've known
All right, so you can see uh, the twang, twang, twang version of Michael Nesmith, very different with the new version by Mickey Dolans. And we, we really do thank Mickey uh, for, for being on our program as as you can sort of gather. Such a thrill for both Brian and I to, uh, to have a chat to a, uh, a living, breathing monkey. You know, I was just beside myself. That was just fantastic. You know what, it I reckon I know, I know the, the lyrics of their songs every bit as much as I know the lyrics of the Beatles songs. I reckon I do too. Yeah, I reckon I'm pretty much all over the uh, monkey songs. Yep, yep, yep. And yep. and and uh, the, I remember bits out of the TV show. Look out, here comes tomorrow. And when they sang "Cuddly Toy," and I was Take in a supermarket this morning, uh, yeah. under lockdown, and I'm standing buying the, toilet paper. Yes, I, no, I wasn't. I was <laughs> like standing taking at, it all off the shelf because <laughs> it was already gone. I was standing at the checkout, and you know what came on the uh, the in-house radio. I'm not your stepping stone by the oh, monkeys. Good and I song. thought, my God, there you go. Even you yeah, know, 2021. Take a giant step a outside song. your mind. Yeah. I want to be free. Yeah. I'll tell Randy you which one Skilski. I liked. What? What am I doing hanging round? Oh, good song. That's a Mike Nesmith song, it isn't is, it? It is, and it's one I should have I should have asked Mickey why he didn't do it. I only yeah. thought of it. Because that's, that's a great song, I reckon. That's one of Mike Nesmith's best, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it was I think it was before Listen to the Band. Um yeah. really good song. What am I doing hanging round? Actually, I listened to Listen to the Band the other day. That's that holds up quite well, I reckon. That's a pretty good song. He pretty much did that on his own too, I think. I don't think any of the other blokes were in the studio. I think that was one of those sort of Paul McCartney oh, really? moments. Yeah, I think so. Oh, um, it's yesterday. Uh, that was that was when he was cracking the sads with the whole organisation and uh, and not wanting to uh, to be involved and you know they wanted to be Pinocchio wanted to be a real boy. So anyway. he said, "Listen to the band. Listen to it." Dung, 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 dung. No, don't start me. I'll start oh, singing. Right. I'll start singing monkey songs. And I don't. You know, I don't sing. No. All right. uh, this man doesn't sing either, but he plays. All sorts of weird and wonderful instruments, I can tell you. His name is Roger Mason. Uh, we mentioned uh, playing with James Freud, uh, playing with the models, playing with the divinals, backing Gary Newman, all sorts of people that he's done over the years. So uh, he's got a new album out uh, with Stephen Kilby. It's called The Hall of Counterfeits. It's finally got a name for it. Oh, good. It's That's Stephen on. Kilby and the Winged Heels, of which the Winged Heels, uh, Roger, is one of those, along with Barton Price and Gareth Kosh. Prince Damor for the Submariner. You remember the Marvel superheroes? About the only bloke that hasn't got his own movie, he had wings on his heels, ah. so he could fly through the air. Whereas tiny wings about the size of butterflies on his oh, ankles. Okay. The winged heels. I wonder if they're fans of Prince Namor, the Submariner. Well, we can't ask Roger because it's a pre-recorded interview, <laughs> so yeah. we won't ask him that. But we do ask him a lot of other stuff about writing for movies and all sorts of stuff. So uh, enjoy this. It's uh, our chat with uh, with musician Roger Mason. Roger, Roger. Tell us about this project that you're working with Stephen Kilby on, which is is obviously taking on almost a life of its own. I had a call from Barton Price last year who said uh, he was going to be recording us here on the Central Coast where I live. Steve had booked some studio time and asked Barton to play on it. And so that was a solo album. That was 11 Women. So he said, come along, say hi to Steve. I hadn't seen Steve like, literally for about 10 years. I came down to the studio and we said hello, and he was recording, and Barton was playing, and then at the end of it, they just put down drum tracks. Um, just before I left, he said, do you want to um, play something on the album? I said, yeah, sure. So I came back the next day, and so I played on a track, and one track led to another and another, and then I ended up doing the whole album. And I don't know if you know much about Steve, but he likes to work quickly. He doesn't like to dally. 
Like he doesn't like to spend a, a huge amount of time on one particular thing and he's got an idea, he wants to run with it and bang it out. And so um, we knocked out an album in four days um, of, songs, of songs that he had written. And then wow. at the end of it, his partner, Gareth Koch, was part of a band called Sapphire with uh, Slava Gregorian and his brother and they toured the world as a uh, classical guitarist. Um, Gareth had partnered with Steve on a couple of albums prior to that of kind of they called it ancient music. At the end of the recording, they asked me if I would like to um, do an album with them because I dragged in all of this other stuff with me. I, um, I tend, I have a, a propensity to buy um, strange exotic instruments and then try to play them. <laughs> so anyway, I dragged a few of these instruments along to Steve's session for 11 women, and they're on there. There's Gertie Gerties and Nickel Harpers and Dulcimers and, and Cello and stuff. So I think that was the biggest draw card rather than me. They thought, they thought wow, I don't know what these instruments are, but they're, <laughs> they're pretty cool. <laughs> so uh, this guy comes with them, so um, he can join our band. Yeah, so that's how it all came together. Oh. And uh, That is right out there, to be perfectly honest, isn't it? <laughs> I guess it is a yeah. bit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a long way from uh, James Freud and, uh, and Berlin when, when Brian, I think, first met you. Well, I've, yeah, yeah, I was indeed. a fan of that band, and that album is still one of my favourite albums today. And one <laughs> of the things I really like about it is, is the keyboards because it's got all this... Stuff and it really, it's a really cool album, really underrated, I reckon. Um, was it fun? You did that with Tony Cowan, that album, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. That was done during downtime. None of us had any money. Um, our manager, Barry All, uh, managed yeah. to pull a deal where it was a kind of a, a licensing deal with um, Mushroom. I still had a day job, and so we would do the sessions at night, and then I would trundle off to work. Uh, the next day, completely knackered, but after driving out to Frankston and back from from uh, from Melbourne, you know, as you know, Platinum Studios or what's it called yeah. back then, Richmond Recorders was in South Yarra. So, and to be perfectly honest, you know, we didn't really know what we were doing. I didn't really know what I was doing. It was kind of influenced by a bit of minimalism, pop sensibility. Yeah, I guess it does have a, a unique place in. Um, in pop music history in that particular period. But I think uh, a lot of it, the songwriting and things came from, um, of course, from James who wrote all the songs. And uh, it had um, the um, Plastic Patron, I guess, was the the uh, driving force behind that album, in a sense. Plast- wow. Yeah, it had that sort of zany little sort of electronic bizarre thing that had a little bit of Bowie and a little bit of fairy influence yeah. Um, as yeah. from coming from James. But all the rest of it was very much the pop sensibility. Oh, I was going to say, somewhere along the line, you went over to America to study film scores. Is that right? Yeah, that was in uh, about 90, 91 or something. I, I won a scholarship for uh, Robert Redford Sundance Institute. Oh, wow. And... So that was, they had a thing up and running where they would bring Hollywood composers uh, to Redford had his yeah, a ski resort that he bought up. And in order to preserve this big section of wilderness in Utah, 
in winter it was a ski resort and during summer it basically just lay dormant with a few holiday homes. And so Redford decided to turn it into a, um, an independent film school. Basically, it was just a big exercise in altruism, trying for people trying to get into the film business. So anyway, my part of it was they, I sent in a tape and they accepted it and I was their first international student. And so it was a course where they provided everything, including the airfares there. They paid for food, they paid for pencils. You know, it was like uh-huh. uh, a dream come true for anyone trying to get into the film business. We had people like Hollywood composers like Danny Offman and Michael Kamen. Um, Jerry Goldsmith was going to come, but he had to cancel at the last minute. It was, it was amazing. Uh-huh. It was truly amazing. And so everyone received some footage of a film that was being produced in Hollywood at the time. That footage was distributed amongst the students, and then the students all had to write music for it under the guidance of these various composers who would just walk around behind you and just add little bits of advice and, and tips. And then at the end of the day, uh, there's a concert hall in the facility where the Utah Symphony Orchestra was set up. And you get to conduct your piece of music with a full-size orchestra. Goodness with me! the film up on a big screen behind you. Yeah, it was... It was Shit a, a of, <laughs> absolutely. It was terrifying, and I said to the uh, the guy running the course, "I I can't conduct." He said, it "Doesn't matter. You have to learn." I said, "I can't learn in <laughs> you know in a couple of days." And he said, "Everyone has to learn to." He said, "You have to go through the experience just to be able to appreciate it." So reluctantly, I did, and so I sort of looked up onto the stage. Half of the guys in the band are reading newspapers, you know, <laughs> and they, <laughs> when you walk up, they don't even bother putting them down. I ended up picking the, the baton and the counting started and film came up and I brought the orchestra in and it was the most embarrassing, humiliating <laughs> 15 minutes of my time on stage. Oh, how awful. In my entire life. <laughs> and uh, it was really awful. Because the other guys, especially because the other guys had been to Juilliard and one guy was working on Broadway. And, you know, these guys knew their stuff. And I got in there only because they liked that I was doing something different, that I really had no orchestral skills. Um, so it was a big learning curve for me. It was, uh, it was pretty um, humiliating. And then I came off stage and the, um, the guy running the course said, uh, so... How was that? Said, oh, don't ask me. He said, okay, now watch. And so he took the baton off me, walked on stage, and then all of a sudden the guys reading the newspapers put them down. <laughs> you know, he just commanded this, this different sensibility. And then he started them up, and it sounded fantastic. Were they doing your song? They were playing the same piece of music. It was a great lesson. You've done a score for a few films, though, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I've done 25, 28, something like that. Wow. What's, what do you see as the biggest difference between, doing, say, writing a song or write, writing a score? Oh, there's loads of differences. It's, it's kind of um, a song is like a poem and a film yeah. is like a book. The best analogy I can come up with in 10 seconds, you know, but an eight-line poem can be incredibly powerful. 
and you can do a score that's an hour long, but it can be really unimpressive. One is a pure art form in a sense, and the other is a supporting art form. That's that's how I kind of look at them. So it's a very much a different, completely different writing form. Um, it's all music, but it has a, a completely different function. Do you have a genre and, that you you prefer to write for? You know, horror or or period pieces, or is 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 there something there that sort of appeals to you more? Um, I think you just nailed both of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love I love psychological, and you know that can incorporate horror. I love period because there's something mysterious already without you even um, moving into the story. You know, I like the dark stuff. Yeah, yeah. Put put it this way: um, I think the power pop of that first James Freud and Berlin album was the last time I uh, sort of. <laughs> Dealt with the uh, the lighter side. Yeah, right. Oh, okay, because you've done the Hungry Ghosts and the Reckoning and a few a few of those things, which are really messing with your mind type shows. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love shows where you can get inside the protagonist's head. Yeah. Can I ask you just go, going forward to another part? I'm jumping over a bit all over the place here, but you're in the models and you're about to do the Australian made concert tour with yeah. Inexcess and sort of vinyls and everybody, and you yeah. broke your arm. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I did. You My hand. It's a broken hand. Yeah. And so you pre-recorded some of your pits, is that right? Uh, they weren't pre-recorded, they were sequenced. Sequenced. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, sequencing was a little bit primitive in those days, and it was always a bit hit and miss. Uh, Pearl Barton quickly learn to embrace that the click track may or may not come in. It was all a little bit new to us because we were, um, we were live musicians. Techno pop and that computerized pop wasn't a thing then. So, yeah, we had certain parts that were played by um, other keyboards. Uh, it was all done by me. It wasn't done by Just must have been a nightmare, you know, with a broken hand trying to do a concert tour. It was bad timing. It was really bad timing, <laughs> but I, I can guarantee you I didn't do it on purpose for the attention. Oh. <laughs> do you still get a charge out of being on stage or, or is the studio kind of where you like to be these days? Well, when, when, I, when I went down to the studio, I had no intention of ever playing with a band again, whether it was recording or touring or anything. I just hadn't, hadn't really thought about it. The only thing I thought about was what a hassle. I've learned to sit in the room by myself and, and compose music for the last 30 years. So does, and, it, say on, um, does it say on your, uh, you know, your high school reports cut that, that Roger doesn't work well with others? <laughs> it should, shouldn't it? <laughs> uh, but um, no, I've always been a bit of a, uh, you know, I, I like my own company and I had my own things and that I, I wanted to do. And, and playing in a band, you have to compromise and you have to, and especially when there are strong-willed personalities, your ideas can tend to get pushed back. So when models split up, I wasn't entirely broken up about it um, right. because it gave me the opportunity to do things like move into film, which I thought I always suspected I'd be better at anyway. Um, when I started playing with Steve on Steve's album, I really enjoyed it. And there was something Steve's- about playing in a band, it's the camaraderie, it's the humour, you get to act like an idiot. 
um, <laughs> while doing something really individual and artistic and expressive. And if you all tend to get along, um, it you're capable of creating these little pieces of magic. You were saying before that with the film scores that you like, uh, something that's a little bit haunting afterwards. Well, Steve Kilby's probably the right guy for you then because a lot of, <laughs> a lot, a lot of his music is sort of haunting a little bit. You know, it's... Um, Listen to oh, his music album. Yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought you meant Steve. Yes, absolutely. No, his yeah, music. Is, <laughs> it's got a sort of, um, I don't know. It's got that sort of value to it. I reckon. Absolutely. There's a there's an element of the esoteric about it. Yeah. And yeah. I I call him like a, a vagabond poet. He's like right. this journeyman poet who I don't know. He just sees things in his art and in, in his lyrics. He sees things slightly different. To a lot of people, no one writes lyrics like Steve. He just spits out the idea, and there it is. Let's move on. Hey, Roger, it's been it's been great to catch up. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Uh, and thanks, Roger. Good on you, mate. Excellent. Thanks, guys. It was nice talking to you. No, I appreciate it. There you go. That's Arcadia. That is from the album The Hall of Counterfeits, which is available now. Steve Kilby and the Winged Heels. Uh, you can uh, check it out. To, as you can tell from that, a most interesting musical excursion. And they're touring in June. We'll put the uh, the dates up on our Facebook page as well where you can see... Um, oh, we'll get the, it tattooed uh, on our back, wouldn't we? And Steve Kilby and the Winged Heels. The streets. Yes, yes, we will. Tattooed on the back. Just Thanks to around. Roger for, uh, for having a chat with us. We really appreciate it. And uh, check Thank that you, out. Roger.
Yes, a very, very talented, very, very talented uh, composer and musician. I like the way you described that. It's a musical excursion. I think that was Well, very... it is. Yeah, yeah no, I know. I get what, exactly what you mean. I, yeah. I, I'm actually being serious. I think that's a really good description. Wish I'd said it. There's a first. But I'm a shit co so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Which reminds me, you're in my propinquity right now. You're in my proximity. And if you're oh. in the proximity of a phone, you can dial one three hundred triple five five seven six, or if you're near a computer, jump on mercots.edu.au and see exactly what the team at Mercots can do for you as a driver, can do for members of your family as a driver. Gift certificates are always available. So if you've got a birthday coming up and you're thinking, you know what? I want uh, I want this person to be safe when they go out on the roads or safer than they are right now. I will give a gift certificate from Mercots for the next birthday or anniversary or what, whatever it is. What about if I want to become a racing car driver, Kev? They would help you with that. They would teach you I all know. sorts of techniques, as you, taught, as you well know. They taught you me how to be a racing car driver, Kev, and uh, I did quite well out of it too. But no, yeah, so if you're going to be a racing car driver, that would be a good place to start. One three hundred triple five five seven six mercots dot edu dot au. Uh, that's it for another edition of uh, Life of Brian. Dot 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 Mannix. That is. Do we've got Brian Cad? We've got Angry Anderson. We've got all sorts of people coming up. The boys from uh, Sushi no, Mango are going to join us as well. We've got lots wait coming minute, up. Wait a minute. He doesn't like to be called angry anymore. Oh. He just slightly miffed Anderson these days. He's, he's slightly mellowed miffed a bit. Anderson. Slightly miffed Anderson. <laughs> well, he's joining us in a coming episode too, as is Brian Cat and the uh, the Sushi Mango Boys. So we look forward to your company then. Uh, support mercots.edu.au. And uh, Brian, take care of yourself. Be safe and uh, wear your mask and, you know, stay inside. Yeah, great. Wear your mask, your proper mask, not your Joe Biden mask. I had my first gig coming up for about eight weeks cancelled. Duh. I know. I yeah. know. You're I know. slowly sending me broke. Yep, and me too. Are yep. they going to give us any money for that or what? I don't know, Brian. I think we'll be uh, we'll be at the front of uh, our local Woolworths with a, a blanket on the ground and uh, singing for our supper, and we'll be singing monkey songs, <laughs> you and me. On that cheery note, farewell, Mr Mannix. I'll talk to you again soon. Farewell to thee, my lovely. Bye.